Shabbat Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion of the Land Ministries, and thank you for joining us once again for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai and all the ways that you might be watching. Welcome, whether you're on Facebook Live, our mobile app, or any one of our television apps, we issue a hearty Shabbat Shalom from all of us here at Lion and Land Ministries. Right now, it's October 23rd, and we are uh, finally recovered now from uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, our largest event of the year, and it was an amazing blessing uh, to serve the Lord, to see many brethren in a uh, certain a trying year, uh, but many brethren were able to come and we were able to fellowship with one another at the appointed time and to praise His name. Now that we have uh, started the Torah cycle anew beginning last Shabbat, um, we are ready to continue to serve the brethren and to minister and to teach uh, the Word of the Lord, the Torah, each and every week as we endeavor to bring you new teachings, new content um, every single week. Um, we have a new uh, series that my father is teaching on Saturdays, Saturdays. Saturday mornings. He's uh, getting a little bit back to his roots and we, he is uh, teaching that Torah is for all people and is going with the Torah cycle as well um, in teaching uh, the Word of the Lord as he's been teaching for many years uh, from the first five books of the Bible, the Law of Moses. And so I encourage you to check out that series that we'll be broadcasting on Saturday mornings. And of course, thank you for joining us for this Arab Shabbat broadcast where I too will be sharing from the Torah each week and uh, we'll give you a couple of different perspectives each and every week as we endeavor to serve the brethren and bring you new content every week. So if you are blessed by this broadcast or any one of the other outreaches that we do here at Lion and Land Ministries, if the Lord would stir in your heart to make a, do make a donation, you can do so at llgive.com. There's many ways to donate there. And we, of course, endeavor to uh, be good stewards of the Lord's resources in everything that we do here at the ministry. So we thank you very much for making us a part of your Sabbath routine, and we thank you for your participation in this ministry as we are continuing to serve the Lord day in and day out to minister to the brethren as we continue to look forward to His kingdom. So thank you for that. Now let us set apart the Sabbath from the rest of the week with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Now, Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam, borei Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Chamotzi. Chamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen.
Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch the call to worship. Baruch Hu et Aronai Hamvorach Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Le'olam Ba'ed Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha Ba'elim Adonai Michamocha nedar bakodesh norate hilot osefele osefele who is like you O Lord among the gods, who is like you, Lord, there is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord, who is like you. Amen. And now the blessing of Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natanlanu et derach ha-Yeshua ba-Mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru. Vishamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat. La'asot et ha-Shabbat la-doratam barit olam. B'nei uvayan b'nei Yisrael oti le'olam. Kishishet yamin asa aronai et hashemayim va'et haralets uvayom hashvi'i shvat va'yenefash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Malchuto, Le'olam va'ed Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'ahavta. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elochecha. Uktaftam 
All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
came And he turns to cold to my lips And now my guilt is gone And my sin has been forgiven Well, the angel came And he touched a coal to my
Shabbat Shalom. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis to chapter 6. Hold your finger there at verse 9 where our Torah portion of Noah will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, let me do the blessings before the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher b'chabanu mikol ha'amim Venatan lanu et torato Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-torah amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week, as I said, is the portion of Noah. It's the second portion. As we go through the study and have begun the Torah cycle anew, we are coming through a couple of stories that will be a lot of Scripture in a very short amount of time, obviously with the goal in mind that we are getting very close to the story of Abraham. It's very interesting the way the Torah is laid out, of course, is that we have the creation of the entire world, we have the creation of man, and then we are telling the story of the entirety of the world and all of these families and people that come to populate the earth, yet the Scripture always takes pause and takes note of one particular person. One person that will carry the narrative forward. I am always encouraged the way that the scripture is laid out that we, though we're talking about the, we're talking about the world after all, we're talking about the biggest thing that any of us can fathom or think about. There's a lot of people that we are, uh, that we're concerned about, seven, almost seven billion that we have on the earth today. And yet God uses the testimony of sometimes just individuals to minister and encourage the multitude of people that are here in the world. What it shows and what it should encourage every single believer is that God not only is the God of the whole world, yet we should never think that we are too small or too insignificant that the Lord can't use us. Since God shows us and points to us in the Scripture of single men, individuals that God uses and speaks through, and encourages the rest of the entire world with the testimony of a single person. We should never feel so small or so insignificant that God cannot use us, since God, in through His Word, gives us and sets the precedent by which a single person can can fulfill the will of God and can walk with their testimony to encourage many others. That's the power, of course, of God and His Word and His covenant that He makes with us is that not only does God make covenants with the entire world, not only is God the master of the universe and the master of all people, but He is also an individual, a personal Savior, a personal God that we can pray to, 
that we can interact with, that we can even speak with and, and understand a relationship, not only relationships with other individuals that we have throughout the world, but also the in a, we get to have a personal relationship with the almighty creator of heaven and earth. What a blessing that is, and that is all a part of God's nature. Here, we are introduced to one man by the name of Noah, which the meaning of his name means rest, Noah, and that he was a man that lived at a time when the world was in a terrible place, in great judgment, yet God found grace in Noah. When God saw Noah, grace came forth from the Lord. To, to be kind to him. Now, was Noah, had he never sinned? Was he this righteous man that was without sin? Of course not. After Adam sinned and brought sin into the world, all of mankind had sinned. And so Noah was not a perfect man. However, God saw in him and wanted to give him grace. Now, of course, the fact that we see the, through the testimony of Noah, that God was willing to spare him and spare his family, even though God had regretted the creation that he had made because of the sin and the debauchery and the terrible things that mankind had and the sin that, that mankind was consumed with. In fact, we're warned in the Olivet Discourse by Yeshua the Messiah when he spoke in Matthew chapter 24 that the end of the age will be like that of the days of Noah where they were marrying and giving in marriage, and this sin is incredibly prevalent. Now, this has become a very standard teaching, in, uh, whether it's in any religion, denomination of Christianity, or in uh, the Messianic movement. We, of course, teach the world we live in is full of sin. It's consumed by sin. You can't turn on your TV or look outside and, without seeing sin prevalent in the world. And we are always warned, and we have this feeling or this sense is this like it was in the days of Noah, where the people were marrying and giving in marriage? Of course, we see and we've seen in our news cycle and in modern times, the entire idea and the covenant of marriage has been completely perverted from what we believe God is intending marriage to be. As He is from the very beginning, He created man and woman, a single man, a single woman, and they were married and joined together in covenant with one another. Of course, we live in a world where it seems like they're changing the laws of marriage almost on a monthly basis to where they are allowing marriage covenants and, and, and contracts to be made between multiple individuals, between a person and their pet or a person and any other number of people or different genders, whatever it might be, that the entire covenant of marriage has been just completely perverted and destroyed in our day and age. This, of course, has been the work of the adversary to destroy that, uh, the, the structure of a, what a family should be and what a covenant truly should be. I've been a big proponent of the teaching of covenants, that we must learn how to be in covenant with other individuals, how to do what is right and appropriate with other individuals as we uh, have relationships and we grow in our relationships with fellow people, fellow brethren and that we must see the example of what it is to be in covenant with God, and we use the type and shadow of the relationships we have with others to see what a covenant should be. So the adversary knows this, and of course, if the adversary is coming against us and that the adversary wants to destroy our relationship with the Lord, then he is going to destroy our relationship with other people. 
He's going to allow sin to get in the way and to be this distraction that we have with all people, all individuals that we interact with. And because the Scripture says, if you cannot love that which you see, the, the, your brother whom you can see, then how can you say that you love the God who is unseen, who is invisible, who is the, the, when we are the image of the invisible God, then we need to have our relationships be an example to what it is to be in covenant with God. And so the adversary knows this, and he destroys our covenant relationships. He makes marriage to be something that is just willy-nilly, given, taken. It's not very important. Uh, if you get married, sign a prenup because you're likely to divorce. You're likely to have that covenant be destroyed. And that is, of course, what the adversary is intending to do, to destroy our relationship with God. We must get back to the way it was in the garden. We have to get back to the way that it was that marriage was between one man and one woman and that a true covenant between us and God is one with obedience, with love, where we worship, the Lord, worship God in all of His power that He created us. That is what we need to restore. And you know where that starts? It starts in our homes. It starts with restoring the nature of what truly a covenant should be between a man and a woman. Now, in the days of Noah, and as in the day as it is today, there is, marriage has been completely destroyed, the idea, the concept of it. That's why us who are in ministry are working to fix that, to teach young men, young women, what marriage should be, what a covenant should be, so that we can teach them truly to have a great and wonderful relationship with their God. Now, obviously, this was the problem. This was the sin that we had, and this is the situation that the world found itself in. So God needed to clean the place up. God needed to destroy it. He regretted His creation. And so what God then had to do was He had to send this great flood that would flood the earth and that would kill all living things with the exception of the living creatures that Noah would preserve in the ark. And this is the story. Many of us know the story of Noah and his ark. We learn it in Sunday school. We learn it from uh, our, our parents teach us at a, at a young age and some of our first uh, kids' classes that we go to uh, inside our churches and fellowships. We've all colored the picture of the big boat with the, all the animals' heads sticking out and the rainbow that's above it all and that we know the story of Noah's ark. Of course, that God commanded Noah to build this ark, build this boat, that it was through this that all the preservation that did, uh, the world and some of the creation was going to be preserved and saved. There's only eight people that survived this great and terrible flood. It was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people survived this great, terrible judgment. So, the, the things are not... God has set the precedent by which if sin becomes too great within His creation, He will bring judgment upon it. He will. We know this also with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know that God will not spare a, a place. And now, if there is enough righteousness that can be found within His creation, then God will spare His creation. He does have grace. He does have loving kindness. He does have mercy upon His people especially those that cry out to His name, especially those that are honoring and faithful to His covenant. And that is what we should endeavor to be, especially when we're surrounded by sin and debauchery and terrible things in the world. 
we have to be like Noah. We have to carry ourselves uprightly before the Lord and pray that the Lord would find grace in us, that He would share His grace with us. One of the interesting things I love bringing out is Noah, his name, Noah, uh, was made with a noon and a het. Now, if you reverse those two letters and you put a uh, het and a noon, it makes the word hen, which means grace. So Noah, in, his, in the nature of his name, is where grace was found. And so that, of course, is what we want to see. We want to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. So, obviously, we have the story that the, the flood comes. The, um, we can talk about some of the details. In fact, my father, one of the first messages that he ever recorded for this ministry was a teaching by the title of The Logistics of Noah's Ark that he did uh, back in his uh, corporate days as a logistics engineer. And he did it basically to give a presentation to people about what logistics is. Well, he gave this message, and it's been recorded, and we've had it here at the ministry for a while, the logistics of Noah's Ark, where he factored in all the various factors by which is it possible that Noah's Ark could have actually happened? Is it possible to build the size of the Ark with the size that it was intended to be built with three different levels? Would there have been enough room for all the different animals and all the different species of creatures to be on that Ark? Would they have been able to store enough food for one year? Would it have survived? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, in the, through the course of that study, um, my father proved that not only is it possible, but it's actually highly probable. With the very specific um, size of the ark that was given, the, ver- the ratio of the size of the ark as far as would it have floated, would it have survived the, the structure of being on the waters, and when it's all said and done, yes, it actually is possible. That fanciful story of Noah gathering all of the animals and, and, and would there have been enough room? Would there have been enough food? Would it have made sense, of course, that he would not have ta- that Noah wouldn't have taken full-sized grown animals, but he would have taken maybe younger animals that didn't eat as much or didn't take up as much space? We, of course, know that that's possible. Now, the other thing is, is that it's very specific in the Scripture that says that not only did Noah take two of every animal, but he took seven of every clean animal. Now, some people have speculated whether that's seven pairs, or so it was 14 total of all the clean animals. So whenever you see the picture of the two cows, there actually would have been seven or 14 cows when you are coloring that picture in Sunday school. So would it have been 14 or 7? Well, one of the factors of the logistics of Noah's Ark is that if it had been 14 animals, that actually may have been too many and that that might not have held the right, uh, that we, there wouldn't have been enough room for the food to be stored on the Ark. But if it was 7 animals, then it could be possible. I also tend to believe that it was 7 animals because, the story continues, that after the Ark came to rest and the waters had subsided, that then Noah made a sacrifice of all the clean animals and all the clean birds. He made an altar and he made a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, it actually would have made sense if there was an odd number of all the clean animals so that every sacrifice that took place would have still left two pairs there to procreate and to uh, fill the earth once again with their various species. So I tend to believe that it was actually seven of the clean animals and not seven pairs, which would have been 14. Now, in all of this, we, we could talk about the details of the ark and how this might have worked and get into the scientific nature of this. What I'm always endeavoring to do and what the Lord's always laying on my heart is to teach truly what's the spiritual principle of what is going on. 
What is the spiritual lesson for us to learn as we study the story, the stories of old, the stories of Noah's Ark? What can we as believers today learn from it? What do we need to learn from it? Well, here we are still early on in our story of the Bible. This is only our second Torah portion, of course. So one of the things that we need to recognize is the pattern and the journey that we are on as believers. What's one of the first things you ever learn as a believer? If you were introduced to the concept of the Lord or believing in the Messiah, Yeshua, and that you need to accept Yeshua into your heart and that you need to make Him your Lord and Savior and that you need to believe in God, what's the thing that we recognize why we need God, why we need a Savior? We, of course, recognize because we are sinful, because we have done things that are wrong, because we have sinned. That's, of course, what we learn from the story of Adam and Eve. They're the ones that, of course, introduced sin into the world. And every sin that we've ever committed is an offshoot. Is, it all stems from that original sin and that we are sinful. And this is the thing that we should tap into every time we're speaking to somebody, that whenever you do something wrong, you know it was wrong. It's ingrained in us. It's in, our, it's in our instincts to know that killing somebody is wrong. Unless there is serious uh, mental or, uh, disorders or uh, emotional issues within an individual, we know and we are raised up to know when something is wrong, even as a child, that when you are instructed by your parent to do this, clean your room, do that. And then when you hear your name called out, maybe you even hear your middle name, which is the only reason why we have middle names is to know when we're in trouble. And your name gets called out and you, know, you stop and you freeze and you look because you were caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing. Every child knows that feeling and us adults know it as well. Whenever you're sin, doing something wrong, there's a gut feeling. There's something God put inside of us. We call it moral, some moral code, if you will. What I believe it to be is that it's actually the Spirit of God that's been poured out upon mankind to convict us of what is right and wrong, which the Torah and the commandments of Torah teach us what they are, but it's the Spirit that actually calls us to remember those things and to know what is right and what is wrong and what God's Word has said. And so we know when we've done something wrong. We know we have sinned. So what do we need? We need to be saved from our sin. We deserve to be punished because we have sinned. And in fact, in the world of Noah, that's exactly what, uh, would that have been understood? That because of the great sin that is in the world, because of the terrible things that, that, that mankind has done, did, did we not think that God's judgment would come at some point in time? The story of Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the garden, was that passed along through the generations? Well, the fact that we have the record of this written down for us, written by the hand of Moses, that we believe would have been, these are stories that would have been, been passed on so that we would know what took place before the flood, that surely people knew of the sin, knew of the power of God and His judgment. Somebody had to have known that judgment was coming because we deserve to be punished because we have sinned when we make mistakes. In fact, when we're truly accepting of our mistakes, we, the, the most honest people are accepting of the punishment when you get caught doing something you're not supposed to do. So we have a need for a Savior. We have a need for salvation. We don't want to go through judgment. We need the Lord to show mercy on us, to spare us of the judgment that is and the punishment that is due to us. We need salvation. 
So here we have the story of Noah being saved. Now, not only is Noah being saved by grace, by the Lord, but it is also done in a way, and there's, a, and there's something that is physically present here with us that is needed in the process of salvation, and that is the waters. Many of us, many denominations of Christianity teach that not only do we need to be saved, we also must be baptized. We must be born again. Now, I'm not a, I don't know if I will stand on the hill and be the absolute proponent that we are only saved unless we are baptized. Because I believe that God, through His Spirit, through the power of heaven, which is called in the Hebrew Hashemayim, which basically means waters, the mayim being the root word of Hashemayim, the heavens, is water, is that one, we can be spiritually cleaned by the Spirit of heaven and the Spirit of waters. And whether physical water is needed for a single person to be saved by God, first of all, it's the judgment of God on whether somebody is saved or not. I am not going to stand up and say, because that person was never baptized, they're not saved. I'm not going to say that. And I would recommend that you not say that as well. That is simply a judgment that we cannot make. Only the Lord knows the hearts of individuals. Now, what we do want to do as believers is to show through our actions that we are recognizing what is spiritually happening when we confess our faith in God, when we have turned our life over to the Lord, and we recognize that we are sinful in our nature by the way that we are born physically, that we need to spiritually be born again. So what we do is we make the spirit and the physical come together in one, and we go through the, uh, the, we go through the waters so that physically we are representing what is spiritually happening, such as being born again. And that is what the nature of the flood of Noah actually is. Did you not realize or have you ever recognized the fact that by the world being completely flooded with water, and then when the water subsided and the earth came back out of the water, it was just as if the earth was being born again. Just like when the earth was created in the first place, back in Genesis 1, it said there were waters, and there was waters, and then the earth came up and separated the waters from the waters. And so that that earth rose up out of the water and was being born of water, just like every person has ever been born. When we're born, we're in the, our mother's womb in the amniotic sac with, with water, with the amniotic fluid. And when we are born, we're born of water. It's a flow of water that shows and tells us and gives us a sign that, it, that a new life is about to come forth. This water... What I really truly believe about water is it's like a threshold. It's like when, when you ever have seen water, you've gone swimming or whatever, when you go under the water, it is a whole new world underneath that water. It's different than it is out of the water. And it's almost like this spiritual threshold that when you pass through the waters and then come back out, you have gone to a different place and now have come back. And that's the way it is when we're born, floating in water, floating in the womb, and that there we are in the waters. And then when we come out and we are birthed, we are, there is a threshold that is passed from being in the water to then being born. It's a, it's a spiritual experience. It is. Even though I can all describe it physically, it's a spiritual experience. As I said before, water has this symbolism and representation of the Spirit. It has this representation of heavens. 
And that when, it's like if we ever believe in the idea or the concept that we die and go to heaven, that would basically be like, what, what would that be like? It would be like crossing a threshold and passing through a, through a layer of water and into the heavens. And we don't know what that's like. We don't even know if our concept of heaven is even true. But it's like crossing a threshold into a whole new world, the passage between the physical and the spiritual. And that's really all we're recognizing when we ourselves pass through the waters, through the mikvah or the baptism, that we are crossing a threshold from one life to another life, as if we are being born again. Now, this is a question that he was even in the case in the time of the Messiah. And in fact, the Messiah was was asked of this in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, he, the, the Messiah was speaking, and there was this man, a Pharisee, by the name of Nicodemus. And he was a ruler of the Jews, and he came, he came to the Messiah, and he said, uh, he said, to the, he said this in John chapter 3, at verse, middle of verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Yeshua answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Yeshua answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is, bo- one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Messiah is making this distinction as well. We are born first physically of water, but then we must be born again spiritually to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to pass through physical waters again, even though we love to put the, make that representation and have that physical sign be a symbol or a, a benchmark by which a person has been born again. I was asked the question once that it's like, once you make a confession of faith and believe God to be your Lord and Savior, the Messiah, Yeshua, <coughs> excuse me, that then you still had to be baptized before you are saved. And I had the question, I was all like, So does that mean there's this period of time between making that confession and being baptized that somehow you are not saved during that time? And the the question was a little bit challenging. Now, I truly believe, yes, our physical should match the spiritual, and no problem. In fact, it would be a proponent of if you have made your confession of faith, if you are a young child and have accepted Jesus into your heart, that yes, go through the waters. Go through that feeling, that sense, that that rite of passage, that experience of what it would be to physically go into the water and come back out so that you can, not only can you spiritually sense what is changing, but physically there's a a change as well. But again, like I said, the rebirth must be of a spiritual nature. We can't just go through the motions. We can't just do what all of our other fellow brethren are doing. Go into the water, come back out, have everybody say born again and give you a clap. And, and unless truly what is changing inside your heart, spiritually, that you are accepting your new responsibility of being a new creation. That's what we need to be as believers. We need to take that responsibility 
of the fact that we are not like we were before. Now, when the whole earth was baptized through the flood of Noah, does that mean that sin was now no longer prevalent in the world? Of course not. That is not what it did. In fact, as a believer, as a good Christian, when you go through the baptism and you come out and you are a a new creature, you've been born again, does that mean you'll never sin again? No. In fact, the temptation of sin even sometimes is even worse because it's now challenging you. Are you going to spiritually live your life as God called you to be? And are you going to be a man that walks in spirit and truth? You also can't just then say, oh, I'm born again. So now physically, it doesn't matter what I do. I can go out. I can make whatever physical sins that I want. I've been born again. No, it has to be spirit and truth. You have to have the physical and the spiritual be aligned with one another so that you are not a hypocrite. So you aren't saying one thing when you're in one place speaking, oh, spiritually, I believe all of these things, and physically, the actions don't match. You also can't just go through the motions, as I said before, without recognizing spiritually and truly letting your heart and your mind operate as if you are a believer in God, operating with the Spirit of God inside of your heart and your mind. Spiritual and physical must come together. That is what God is always trying to teach us. And this whole idea and this concept of being born again. As I said, the waters is this threshold that this, this, this time in this passage, we need to recognize that if you have ever gone through the waters or if you've never gone through the waters of mikvah or baptism, that you need to see that new creation coming forth, that you need to truly accept this new life and this gift that you have been given of salvation from God. We have to start, we have to take these things seriously. Now, for some, that time of salvation was a long time ago. Many people might say that, oh, it's like, oh, I was born again on, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and that was... But truly, do you recognize that and have you seen and have you lived your life truly as a new creation, as if you have been given the gift of eternal life from the Lord? And see, that's what we have to make sure that we are doing after we have been saved. What's then our responsibility? We see the pattern in the children of Israel. Obviously, this will all happen later on in our story in the Torah cycle, of course. But when the children of Israel escape Egypt... And they go, what is the pinnacle, what is, the, what is the, the key moment by which the children of Israel knew that they were saved from the bondage and from all of the judgments of the Egyptians? When did they know? It's when they crossed the waters of the Red Sea. That's truly when they had received their salvation. They too were baptized through the water, passed through the water, and on the other side, that is where salvation was received. Then what happened? Well, then God took them to the mountain, to Mount Sinai, and made covenant with them, giving His laws, giving His commandments and His instructions for them to live and walk uprightly before Him. Such also is the pattern for us as believers. As we have passed through the waters, as we have accepted that we are sinful in nature, that we have repented of the sins and the mistakes that we've made, and that we have now gone through the waters, we have claimed that we have a new life and have salvation. What's the pattern by which the next thing we are to do? to live righteously before the Lord, to keep His Word and His commandments and His covenant. This is the pattern. Be saved by grace through faith, then obey the laws of the covenant that you have with God 
so that you might remain holy and stay away from sin. That's the pattern. Now, some people, some religions and religious men, they mix the pattern up a little bit. They say, oh, it's no, it's the obedience to God that is truly what saves you. No, we are saved by faith, through grace, from the grace of God. That is how we are saved. We're not saved by works. And so we can't sit there and say, oh, it's the law of Moses from Mount Sinai that saves us. No, that's not how it worked for the children of Israel. They passed through the waters. They were saved by grace. Then they were to keep those commandments. We also can't be a proponent of the fact that, oh, we're saved by grace. Then, well, then all we do, that's all we ever need. Once saved, always saved. Oh, the law of Moses, no, that was done away with. No, that was just for, for the Israelites. No, that's the next step of what you need after you are saved by grace. That is the pattern by which Israel was saved. That's the pattern by which the whole earth was saved. Once God saved the earth through Noah and his family, does then God never not have any other expectation upon creation to carry themselves righteously and appropriately? No, it's the law and the covenant that comes after that, that God is expecting His people, His creation, to follow His Word. Not like Adam, who was given one commandment, couldn't keep that one commandment. No, we are now given the expectation and we are given the command to live righteously, appropriately before the Lord, to believe in God, to obey His commandments, to keep His statutes, to keep the greatest of the commandments, to love God, to keep the second greatest of the commandments, to love our neighbor as ourselves. These are commandments that all the law, all the covenant hangs, all of that came after Noah was saved from the was saved from the worldwide flood. Now, the other thing that God always does with his people is he always gives us a sign of his covenant. He gives us instruction not only does he speak and this is one of the things that we can know that the word of God is true. And there's some scientifically that science has caught up with some of these ideas and these concepts. One of the first things I like to bring up is the fact that when it says that Adam was made from the dust of the earth, truly we were made from the dust of the earth because we actually are the same, <clears throat> we, we are made from the same elements that the ground, the dirt, the earth, and everything organic, we're all made from the same material. That's carbon. We're carbon-based life forms, and carbon is what is all in the dirt. When we die, our bodies decompose back into carbon, into dirt, into to dust. And that is basically speaking to the fact that the Word of God is true, that we were made from the dust of the earth because we're all carbon-based life forms. Well, one of the other signs that God has given to us in covenant is the sign of the rainbow, this strange uh, light-based phenomenon that you can see after a rainstorm when, the, when a light source is behind you and is reflecting off of water droplets in the sky back into the eye of an observer, and you can see this bow of color in the sky. This is some kind of miraculous thing. Now, science has proven it out as far as why we can see the colors, and sometimes you can see a double rainbow and why you can actually see it. But can you really fathom the idea of this entire concept that suddenly colors just appear in the sky? God is good, and God has given this as a sign of the covenant that He has, or that He has made with all of the earth to say that he will never again judge the earth with a flood. If you go to Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 12, it says this. Let me read this whole, this whole passage. 
This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth, and it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature and all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh." The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all flesh that is on earth. One, another thing that we can observe physically that we can observe that shows us a sign that God is true, God is real, that God did these things. I love looking at the Hebrew word for bow. It is kesheth, and it's made up of a kuf, a shin, and a tav. And if you look at the Hebrew word pictures of those Hebrew letters, the kuf basically means the back of a head or what has come previous. It, the shin means destruction, and the tav means a sign. So after, what has come after destruction, here is a sign. That's literally what that Hebrew word means when he says, I've put a bow in the sky. And that obviously perfectly speaks to the fact that after the destruction of the earth, God gave us this sign. The other great thing, and this ties back into something I said earlier, that God not only makes a whole covenant with all of creation and all living things, He also makes a covenant with individuals. And that's actually something very interesting about the scientific phenomenon of a rainbow. Have you ever realized, or you may or may not have realized, that a rainbow is there is specific to the observer that every single person literally technically sees a different rainbow it's simply a something that you see that is based on the position of the observer in fact if a, there, a person is not in the right position on earth or with the right uh, light source they can't see a rainbow in fact <clears throat> excuse me this may have happened to you. You might have been watering your grass one day with a garden hose, and when the sun is overhead and you're spraying water into the air, you can see a rainbow around you in the water droplets of what you're spraying out of the garden hose. And you can say, hey, I see a rainbow. Unless somebody is observing exactly from the same point of reference that you are seeing with your own eyes, they can't see the rainbow. What you need is you need them to come near to you stand at the same similar uh, uh, optical location, spray the water again so that they too can see it. Each rainbow is specific to each individual person. And unless you are standing in, the, in a similar space or a similar area, two people cannot see a rainbow. You could say, I can see the covenant. I see the sign of the covenant that God has given to me because I can see it. But if somebody is standing at a different point or a different place, they might not be able to see it from their position. Now, what's this physical phenomenon? Why am I describing this? Well, what this is, is means, what it means is this. If we are in covenant with fellow brethren, if we are in close proximity to one another and that we have joined together arm in arm, hand in hand, and are walking spiritually together in the same place at the same time, then we too, us together, can see a sign of the covenant. I can say, hey, I see a rainbow. And you, if you're close enough to me, you can say, oh, I see it too. 
But if there are brethren that are not walking side by side with us, spiritually, if they are not in the same spiritual place as you or your friend or your pastor or your fellow brethren are, they might not see the sign. This is actually something we need to recognize in our fellow believers. That even though sometimes words have jumped off the page, that we have seen the sign of the covenant that we have with God, some people have opened up their Old Testament and seen the roots of their Christian faith and all the truth that God has has shown to them. But then you might go and tell your fellow brethren, your fellow uh, believer in the Messiah, and you say, hey, here, did you see these words? Can you see the sign of the covenant? Can you see all the great things that God is doing? Yet, because they're in a different place spiritually, They don't see it. You could read the words to them. You can read the same words that impacted you so greatly and spiritually, but it doesn't impact them the same. Why? As I said, they're in a different spiritual place. In the same way that the rainbow can only be seen from various points of observation, spiritually, sometimes God's truth of His Word can only be seen, recognized, from a certain spiritual point of observation. And that's what we need to do on each of us individually. That's why we need to reflect upon ourselves as to are we truly living as God intended us to be, walking in spirit, following after God and His commandments and His Word and His instruction? Are we doing what is right? Because if we're following the dictates of our, of our heart, if we're doing what we want to do, then we're, and we're walking contrary to the Lord, then we might not see a sign that God is trying to show us or hear His voice when He goes to call. Just like Adam in the garden. I keep going back to that, but we're so close to it here in the early parts of the Torah cycle. I do keep going back to it that God might be walking in the garden looking to see about His creation. He might be calling you, calling for you to hear His voice. But if you have walked away from His Word, If you have done what He has not instructed you to do so that you have then seen yourself to be ashamed and run away from the beautiful place that God has put you, and spiritually you have cast yourself away from the presence of the Lord, then when He calls, you won't hear it. It's a good thing for Adam that he wasn't so far away that he didn't hear God calling for him. And that's what we need to understand with all of us and our fellow brethren. That everyone is not so far away spiritually that we we should not banish ourselves away from the ways of the Lord and from our fellowships and our congregations. Even though many of us have sinned, sometimes we've done terrible things and we're ashamed, we're embarrassed. And so we exile and banish ourselves from others that might be forgiving or might care for us. If we banish ourselves so far that we will miss the sign that God is showing to us or when He goes to call to us. We need to make sure that we are coming back into faith with one another, that we are bringing everyone back in, bringing them into our our own personal spaces where God has saved us, whether we all have an ark that that God uh, has spiritually instructed us to build and to to create so that our lives might be preserved spiritually. We need to have that door be open to someone who is close to us, who is near to us, who desires to have that same salvation and to walk in the same way that we walk, following the Lord. That is what we all need to do, and we need to recognize the various places spiritually where all of us are, wherever we may be 
whatever our fellowships or the might look like, wherever whatever commandments we keep, whatever our family is still struggling to learn about the Lord, we need to be in a place to where that we are ready and willing to, to bring others in with us to, have, to receive that salvation. This is one of the things that is missing from the Messianic movement for many years, and that's evangelism. The reaching out to our fellow brethren to teach them these things and to, to bring them into the covenant of faith. Because God didn't just make covenant with, with certain people here in the Bible that He just made covenant with Israel and that there is just uh, only certain things for Israel and is not for anyone else. No, Israel was always meant to be a kingdom of priests, an example for all the world to be saved. God originally wanted to make covenant with all of mankind, with Adam. The covenant that He made with Noah is with all of the earth, all of mankind. That is the nature of the covenant that God made. And so us... We need to be teaching all of mankind that covenant. It starts with basic things, basic principles. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you want to come back into the beautiful, wonderful presence of God? Yes, well, come on back. Confess that you have sinned. Confess that you have made mistakes. Come back into the presence of God. Pass through the waters so that you can receive and be caught up with all the other living creatures who God has made covenant with. That is the nature of what God is intending to do with all of mankind. This is just, this is 101 right here. This is, Torah, this is the Torah portions, Torah cycle 101. We're in the second passage, so I guess it's 1.2, 102. But we're in these initial stories to where we are trying to learn what it is to be in covenant with the creator of heaven and earth. God will give us many more examples into the future, looking at our father Abraham, through his sons, through his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, and there is much more to the story. But on the very base level, we need to be reaching out and ministering to the people of the world to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We want everybody to come into the kingdom. The, 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 the kingdom is coming. It's very near to us. And, and all the parables of the Messiah are all about the coming kingdom. And that we need to reach out and be teaching people, do you want to be in the kingdom of God? Do you want to come with, a, do, do you want to be a citizen of the kingdom? Then what we need to teach people is to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Come into the fold. Come into this faith. Be, be born again and walk uprightly before the creator of heaven and earth. That's the pattern, and that's what God wants for all of creation, all of mankind. We have to be that example. God's blessing is great. If we go to Isaiah chapter 54, where the Haftor portion for uh, the portion of Noah is, it is teaching us this great plan of redemption that God has for us. And it's a perpetual covenant that God is giving to us. It starts, the passage begins talking first about one that is barren, one that has no child, one that is desolate, and how sad that that, in a place that that is. Let me just go ahead and I'll read this passage here. And the story is, of course, talking first to somebody who is sad, who is lost, who is barren, who has no life in them. But then God, the whole passage shifts that God's covenant of peace is wonderful to be poured out upon His creation. Hear this, uh, Isaiah chapter 54. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth in singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. For you who have not, are, uh, for more are the children of the desolate. 
Then the children of the married woman, says the Lord, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth and you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn but that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. So I have sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. O you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted, behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems. I will lay your foundations with sapphires and will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear and from terror for it shall not come near you. Indeed, They shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me says the Lord. What an amazing passage of encouragement to one that is lost, who feels like they have nothing, to one who feels barren without life. That's the message of the gospel right there. To encourage someone who is struggling with those things, feeling like they have no life. This is what we should be teaching those that are in the world where there's nothing but emptiness and there's sin and there's thing it doesn't not, no sin satisfies but if we give this message out this message of encouragement that God is intending to to redeem his creation wherever they might be what a, what an encouragement that, that that is and that is one of the things that, the message that we need to go out and share with those who are struggling now we do know that God is also not only a God, a loving God, compassionate God, He is also a God that will judge those who have sinned. You know, like there's the precedent set, of course, that those who have sinned back in the time of Noah, that, they, that the whole world was judged at that time. And there is, of course, the judgment that is coming later that we, we learn from that judgment in 2 Peter chapter 3, that we're not, God promised that He would never judge the world again by water, But the world has been reserved for judgment by fire when it comes at the end of the age. So there is more to learn to the story 
when it comes to the power of God and His wrath and how He will bring about judgment upon all the scoffers and those who hate Him and those who are truly the enemies of God. Now, that is, of course, a message that is for a mature believer because when there's an immature believer, when you give that message and you lead off with that message, they're filled with nothing but fear. They're filled, it's all like some people don't want to believe in a God that will bring judgment upon any part of His creation or a God who hates some things. As God said, He hated Esau and He loved Jacob. And there's obviously more to that story and more to that lesson. And so we must understand, especially those who minister to the people, to understand the, who we are talking to and what part of the Scripture we are teaching from one moment to the next. If we are trying to lead with fear, if we're trying to fear-monger the people to believe in God because they want to avoid eternal damnation and judgment and fire and these things, sometimes that works initially. The problem is, is we don't want to lead and lead people with fear or teach people to fear, except for putting all awe and fear in the Lord. But we, some people, we need to have a distinction on who, how we save them whether we save them with compassion or we save them with fear. As it says at the very end of the book of Jude, at the end of our Bible, it teaches us we must make a distinction. And we need the Spirit of the Lord to guide us in that distinction. So, depending on who you might be talking to and the maturity of any believer that you might be teaching or sharing with, we need to understand as ministers how we share and how we speak. Some people are struggling and they need to be saved with love and compassion. And we need to read them, Isaiah 54, and talking about how that God is, is, will redeem us and He's promised us that He would not again, the waters of Noah will not come over us again, and He's given us signs and wonders and miracles for us to follow, and that this is what should encourage us to walk uprightly before Him and to be in, in a faith in God, to just live with other people that have morals and values, and care for one another, and love one another. As time goes on, and as we mature as believers, we come to learn more about our God, that there, yes, He is a God that does bring judgments. There will be stories of plagues that will come in the Torah cycle. And there will be times in which there will be entire cities that are judged by fire, and, and nations of people that God commands the children of Israel to, to wipe out before the earth. Now, is that something that we... Is that something that we should teach a brand new believer that this is the God that you serve, one that commands armies to kill tons of people? No, that's not where we start. That's why we are beginning small, telling some of these stories like the story of Noah and the salvation that is had. If we just operate and if we just live while surrounded by sin, if we just live as peacefully and that we just care for one another, that God might find grace he might see uh, that we might find grace in the sight of the Lord and that that's where some of us are in our walk and in our faith. This is early on in the teaching of the Bible, but it's something that we need to understand that we, sometimes we need to start simple. We need to start with the basics. That's one of the things that Line of Line Ministries has been a big proponent of over the years is to always teach the basics because there's so many new people, so many new believers that are coming in to this walk and into this faith, brand new believers in the Messiah. And we need to be ready to teach them and share with them and meet them where they're at. All at the same time, never compromising and knowing truly what God has instructed us to do, not compromising in how we follow certain commandments and how we walk. At the same time, we need to be ready and willing and able to minister to whoever crosses our threshold for us to speak to and to minister to.
So this is early on in the teaching of the Scripture, but there's lots of work left to be done. There is lots of more fish in the sea, and we as fishers of men need to be sending out our lures to draw them in to the covenant that we have with the Creator of heaven and earth. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time and this teaching. And Father, I pray that I thank You for Your Spirit uh, that has led these words. And Father, I pray that Your Spirit will prevail in all matters and all teachings that come from this pulpit and from this ministry and everything that we do. Father, may the people be encouraged and strengthened uh, in their most holy faith. Father, may we never um, fail to minister to the brethren, to be a light to those who need it, to people who walk in darkness, to people who are barren and sad, to people who need your life and your salvation. Father, may we be vessels, Lord, that speak that life into others. Father, whether it's in the grocery store or whether it's in our fellowships or our schools or our congregations or to even our own family members, Lord, that are not in the same place spiritually. Father, I pray that you would make us as the priests, Lord, intercessors between them and you, our Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring us all into this faith. You would bring us all into your presence by your blood, by your salvation, by your redemption, Lord. Bring us out, Lord, from wherever we are, spiritually and physically, and cause us to come into your presence, into your walk, into your faith, Lord, so that we may walk uprightly before you and that truly we can be the fulfillment of Scripture that we have repented of our sins and that you have remembered your covenant with us. We love you, we bless you, and we praise you on this Sabbath day. I pray all of these things in your Son, Yeshua, we pray. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, v'chai alam natah betocheinu. Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah ha-Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom, Shabbat Shalom.